0: Lord, as we just continue before you in prayer, that I pray you would just continue to speak to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, help us to see Christ in all of his glory. May the, may the beauty of Christ draw us to your, into yourself. Lord, I pray, God, that you would do a great work and reveal yourself this morning. May we, may we see you in Christ's name, Amen. Our passage this morning is Deuteronomy thirteen. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy twenty-two, verses thirteen through twenty-one. And uh, I, I will as you're turning to it. Um, I think this this particular passage it, it, it's so easy to miss uh, because one because we're separated so far by culture and so far by. by by, by the way they lived and, 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 and failure to understand really what's going on. We miss the the, the context of this and, and, and what's taking place in this and, and, and we miss the beauty of this. Um, and my prayer is that uh, at the end of this that you uh, would not see this passage as something strange and something uh, foreign, but it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. As a matter of fact, one, I think one of the, the more beautiful pictures of Christ even. In, in Deuteronomy or, or anywhere. It's just uh, a very moving and powerful picture, and I hope that you uh, love it and enjoy it uh, at the end. Deuteronomy 22, verses uh, 13 through 21. As we know, this, this passage is about uh, you shall not commit adultery. This, this section is all about not committing adultery. And as I said last week, it, this is about purity. And it's about that single minded devotion to God. What does that look like? What does that mean to have that single minded passion and devotion to God? And uh, the, what does that imaging forth of this look like? And it's all of this, all of those five words that we, we talked about from Deuteronomy chapter five, all these are, are, these ten words, sorry, and these final five words is about what does the image of God look like in our lives? And, and, and we said, you should not murder. What's well, about. Loving the image of God and, 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 and seeing the, the other people creating the image of God. And in the same way as we continue in this adultery, it's about the image of God and, and, and the purity of this. And we get to much more clear this morning. We need to learn about adultery and about our God and Savior. And as I said, I pray at the end, you love this passage. Because it is such a beautiful one. So let's, let's read Deuteronomy 22, 13 through 22 if if any man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her and accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her saying I took this woman and when I came near her I did not find in her evidence of virginity then the father of the young woman and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city in the gate and the father of the young woman shall say to the elders I gave my daughter to this man to marry, and he hates her. And behold, he has accused her of misconduct, saying, I did not find your daughter evidence of virginity. Evidence of virginity, sorry. And yet, this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloak before the elders of the city. Then the elders of that city shall take the man and whip him. And they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman because he has brought a bad name upon a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife, and he may not divorce her all his days. But if this thing is true, the evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then, then they shall bring the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel. By whoring in her father's house, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So, as I said, I know that for many of us this passage is strange and difficult, and, and and if we're really going to understand the beauty of this, we need to know what's happening in the passage. So, so there's really three parts of this sermon that we're going to go through. The first is the meaning of the passage. What is this passage really saying? What what is the the the, the in in like I said, there's a whole lot that's going on here that's just for, for the people of, of, of Moses' day, they understood exactly what this meant. They, 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 they had a clear picture of this. But for us today, separated by time and culture, it, it, it's difficult, it's strange for us, and we don't understand it. And we have a tendency to bring our culture into it and judge this. But by, by, when we do that, we really miss what's happening in this passage. So the first part of this is the meaning of the passage. Then next, we're going to talk about the, the new covenantal application of marriage. And we're going to spend a lot of time on this. This section of, of Deuteronomy is going to deal a lot with marriage. And we're going, to, we're going to spend a lot more more time dealing with marriage. And just what that looks like and means for us. Um, so kind of, today is kind of just a, an introduction to it. And then finally, we're going to get into so what. Basically, the, the fulfillment uh, uh, the fulfillment of this in Christ and what does it mean for us. And really, this is where we see the glory of the passage and we see the beauty of it. So, I, I, I said, I'm just, it, it is such a beautiful passage. And I, I hope you, at the end of it, can see this and see the glory of Christ and see the beauty of this and go away from here worshiping and praising God for, for what, what He has in this for us this morning. But first, the meaning of the passage or what's happening in this passage. Verse 13. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her, a marriage has taken place. We have this marriage now. Again, please understand, we're talking about a marriage in Israel, thirty-five hundred years ago. It's, it's not not our, our, our picture book story of marriage where boy meets girl and they date for a while and you know and that kind of you know that's not that's not the picture. You know, you need to get that out of your mind. this This is the, this is a, a marriage that took place thirty-five hundred years ago. The, the young woman was probably 13 or 14 years old. We know that. We, we talk about it every, every Christmas. Howard was married, 13, 14 years old. She was a young woman. This is not some, you know, 25 year, no, this, this is a young woman. The two may or may not have ever met. It was an arranged marriage. That's how marriages took place. The father of the, the bride and the father of the husband made this arrangement. And they came together, and, and, and they were joined together. And so they were married. But when they were married, the man, this man in Israel has taken a wife, and then he hates her. Now, it's important to recognize that, that this word hate is a neutral word. It's not a negative word. Hate is the same word that's used in, 11, in Psalm 11.5. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes sees, his, his eyelids test the, the children of man. The Lord tests righteousness, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So, so God hates the wicked. We read about it in, in Psalm 139. There is, a, there is a righteous hatred to hate the things that hate God and that attack God. So this man hates his wife. In this case, we're not told why he hates his wife. We don't know wh- wh- what happened. We don't know wh- what was it about it that made him hate his wife, but he does. But we do know that in verse 14, he accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her, saying, I took this woman, and when I came near to her, I did not find the, in her evidence of virginity. So, so they were joined together. They had the marriage ceremony. They had this, 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 the, 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 the whole process of this. They went through the engagement they had d- done all this they had the marriage they went in and and somehow either the next day or the the maybe a week later he comes back and he says she wasn't a virgin she wasn't pure she wasn't holy and he accuses her and he's accusing her of immorality of not being a virgin and and, and it's not just like Joseph did in when Joseph saw the 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 what he thought was immorality in Mary, he wanted to put her away quietly, didn't he? Now, this, this guy's making a name of it. No, no, he's pointing out her sin and saying she was not pure. He wanted he, he expected his bride to be pure and she's not. And the husband has given her and her whole family a bad name. And now, understand the Bible's not condemning this. That to fail to be pure is a very serious offense. And then we'll see more as we go through this chapter. This is a big deal for her not to be pure. For her not to be to be virginal was, was a big deal in this, and, it, and, and so in response to this, it's up to the parents to prove her purity. It falls to them; they have to take responsibility of it. Verse fifteen: Then the father of the young woman and the mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city of the gate. So this issue is going to the elders. So, so the husband ha, ha, has made this claim that she was not pure, that she was not virginal, and, and 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 so they went to the elders, and and they come to the father and mother and said, "This is bad. This is this is a serious issue. This is really bad. A young woman has entered into marriage in an impure state. It it it, it casts." It makes the whole, the whole, all of Israel guilty. And the father and the mother of this young woman say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man to marry and he hates her. Now I want you to picture yourself, here's this young woman who's there. She can say nothing. She's just there. And it's up to the father and the mother to stand up and defend her. And behold, the man has accused her of misconduct, saying, "I did not find your daughter evidence of virginity," and yet this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloak out before the elders. Now, without being too graphic, the custom today was when the young, when they got married, at that point of marriage, they would spread a white linen cloth on the wedding bed, and and that. And if, if, if the girl was a virgin in the morning, there'd be blood on the cloth. And so as the parents were to keep this as evidence of the girl's purity. So when the husband accuses her of her immorality, then they would bring out this white this, this cloth and spread it out and say, look, the blood, see the blood? This is the evidence of her purity. This is the evidence of her righteousness. She was righteous. And the blood is what proves it. Here's this this woman standing there. It's the blood. She's righteous because of the blood. This is the proof of her righteousness. And when that happened, when when, when she is proven righteous, she she was pure when she came to the marriage. She was she standing there. In her, in her, 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 her justification, she's been justified by the works of, uh, of her parents. They have, they have fried the blood. She is now just. The elders of the city shall take the man and whip him. This man who has who is unrighteously, unjustly accused this woman of being impure. The elders of the city shall take the man and whip him. And they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver, and give them to the father of the young woman, because he has brought a bad name upon the virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife, and he may not divorce her all his days. The accuser was wrong. She was a virgin. She was she was pure. And and now he's he's been punished. He was whipped. And, and, and this price was paid to the family because of what, what he's done. And now the man cannot divorce her all of his days. There's nothing he can do. I mean, now for, for the rest of his life, he, is, he has to provide for He has to supply her needs. He has to, to take care of her all of her, all his life and uh, her life. There's there's nothing at this point now that she can do to to come I mean, you know there there as you know there are all these we'll get to other laws that would that would justify divorce and but she was she's pure and again we're, 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 there's a lot more we're going through but the, in this story there's this there's this promise of this that she is that she is safe from being separated for the rest of her days. What a a hope and a promise this is. But if the husband was right, if this thing was true, if the evidence of virginity was not found in the woman, meaning there's no blood, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death. You might ask, well, if, if the husband was falsely accusing her of something that was punished by death, then why wasn't he put to death? And we read in Deuteronomy 19, 18 19, the judge shall inquire diligently. And if, the, if a witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then he shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from the midst. So he accused her of something that was worthy of death. So why wasn't he put to death? As we discussed yesterday, to put the man to death would be to punish the woman. Because in that day, it was his, that that a single woman could not supply, could not keep herself, could not feed herself, could not take care of herself. So if, if, if the husband put to death, then you basically <clears throat> sentence her to death as well. So, so, to, so to put him to death would be punishing her. So in this case, for the rest of his life, the man has to provide for the wife, to take care of her, to supply all her needs. But if the accuser was right, and she's not pure, and she's not a virgin, then she has to be put to death. And please notice, there was stone her to death in front of her father's home, or literally at the door of her father's house. It wasn't her drag her outside the gate. No, it was, it was right here at her father's house. She was going to stone her to death. Because it was, it was the father's responsibility to keep her pure. It was the father's responsibility to guard her and to, to protect her. And the father's brought death to the people. There's a lot in this for us. The same ideal. Because she's done this outrageous thing in Israel by whoring her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. She was, she was whoring in our in father's house. The word whoring is used 91 times in the Old Testament, in the 83 verses. And the majority of the time it's speaking about Israel and seeking after other gods. And this is this picture of this of them uh, seeking other gods and, uh, and worshiping other idols. And this is the, the word that used to describe her. She is whoring in her father's house. And the only way to deal with this is through death. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So now that we kind of have an understanding of this of this of, of what takes place here. What about today? What's the new covenantal covenantal application of this passage? This is the Old Testament. The Old Covenant. Purity doesn't matter now, does it? We have a different culture. This is just some barbaric, archaic laws. Now everything's changed. Now we have a new covenant. Now all this you know that that was just that was the old law stuff we can just throw all that out can we let's look at the let's look at the new covenant Matthew 19 verses 1 through 9 back to the same book where Jesus discussed you shall not murder you've heard it said you shall not murder but I say to you if you have anger in your heart you've already committed murder that same book where he said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you have lust, you've already committed adultery. So that same book where, he's, where he took and, and, and basically expanded or illuminated our understanding of what it meant to murder and to commit adultery, Matthew also writes of him discussing marriage and the commandments of marriage. Now as I said, we're going to be discussing marriage Divorce and marriage, a lot over this section of Deuteronomy. And this, so, this is just an introduction. And I think it's such an important and beautiful introduction for us. And even as we talk about marriage and divorce, I know for many, this is a very personal and difficult subject. And please, I, I, I do understand that. But, but regardless of your past, this is not the unforgivable sin. We just need to hear God's word. We need to hear it and, and know that that, that in, in, in Christ, we all need forgiveness. We all need the grace of God. So let's hear God's word and let him speak. Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished his saying, these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Of Judea, beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them. He healed them there, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" You almost have to imagine that Jesus apparently had already been speaking about, because they they think this is a way to to catch him, to test him. You know, it's not like they feel like what his teachings. There's something about what he's saying is different than what they expected. So this is, this is to, to kind of trick him, to trap him. All right, let's just say it plainly, because we're going to prove to you that you're not, you're not keeping the law. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is not weakening the standard of the law. And just as he did with with murder and adultery, he's expanding that understanding of the law. Jesus is saying they should never get divorced. They were joined together forever. This was a union made by God, and it's supposed to represent, or an image, an eternal union. That the purpose of marriage was to so was to show from the very beginning a perfect union that lasted for all eternity. But they didn't get it. They said to him, "Then, well, then why did Moses then command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away?" I mean, can't you hear the protest in the Pharisees' voice? I mean, here they are. They said, "Oh, wait a minute, though." Remember, Moses said, Man, we can get divorced. David said, Moses, he commanded that we're to get divorced. They're saying the law, they're not, they're not appealing to Moses, they're saying God's law commands divorce. Jesus answered him, it's because of the hardness of your heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But now, there's a new covenant. We don't have hard hearts. We have hearts of flesh. God Jesus Christ is, is, is intensifying the understanding of what marriage is. He goes on, but from the beginning, it was not so. When I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, and marries another commits adultery. Under the new covenant, divorce is only allowed when one partner proves they're impure. The same type of impurity that Deuteronomy is discussing. One of the partners is committing sexual immorality. One of the partners, and not just has fallen, is continuing, and is living in this. It's picturing this, this, impu- this impurity, this immorality that reveals they're not a believer. That reveals they're not following after God. And as we discussed yesterday, it's supported by 1 Corinthians 7.15. But if the partner if, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother and sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So 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 the the the, the grounds for, for divorce is, is, is the same as we're seeing Deuteronomy. We just don't take him out and kill him, which, praise God for that. Christ is not weakening the purity that's demanded in Deuteronomy. He's strengthening it. Marriage is supposed to be this picture of purity, of immorality. Immorality, uh, sorry. Why? Because this is the picture of the union of Christ and his bride between God, the husband, and his wife. This is about Christ, the fulfillment. And this is the glory of the passage. We know, and we all refer to Ephesians chapter five, we just read that, that when the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes this abundantly clear that marriage is the picture of the union of Christ and his church. The reason God gave us marriage, the reason God gave us relationship was first and foremost so that we would understand what it means for the for Christ and the church to be joined together. (coughs) And and, and, and to to, to claim marriage is anything other than that is to misunderstand. That this is about that imaging forth of that union between Christ and the church. Paul says this is about this this great mystery as we read from Ephesians chapter 5, and he explains what this looks like. And he said, and he said both parts have a, have a role in this. <coughs> wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is <coughs> the head of the church, his body, and is in himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to the Christ, so also the wives should submit everything to their husbands. Wives, you're to submit to your husbands. Not because they're, they're, they're smart and wonderful and wise, because we know better, but because you're, you're, you're picturing, you're trying to, to teach us what the church should look like. And you live that out. And the husbands are to love the and as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, sanctify her by having cleansed her by the wash of the water the word. So he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy without and without blemish. Husbands, you're to love your, the church, or love your wife as Christ loved the church. You have a role in this. You're to wash her with the word. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Paul says, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it it refers to Christ and the church. Your new covenantal marriage is about imaging the relationship between Christ and the church. And this was no less true in Deuteronomy. That the husband... God is passionate about purity. He is passionate about His bride being pure, and not not mostly pure, not not well. She's, she's pretty clean, but she's pure. I mentioned someone recently. I don't know if you ever seen uh, uh, the the skit guys. They have a little skit about about uh, uh, mostly clean, uh, uh, and and this this. Um, one of, one of them, they're talking, and, and, and one of them says, "Well, I want to go see a movie." And said, well, is it, you know? they talk, talking to his dad, and his uh, dad says, well, "What kind of movie?" He says, "Well, it, it's it's mostly good. There's there's you know there's some bad parts in it, but it's mostly good." You know, that's been a moment. okay. Well, let's think about this stuff. So he 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 later on he comes in and. Dad said, Oh, here's some here's some some brownies for you. And he said, Well, oh great, I love that brownies. He said, He said, Well, what's in them? He said, Well, it's mostly good stuff. There's just a little bit of it bad. You know, how much of it bad does it take to make the whole thing bad? Very little. (laughs) Our husband is passionate about purity. He has single-minded devotionist to it. He's about purity. God said, be holy as I am holy. You can't get more passionate than that. He is passionate about purity. But I want you to, I want you to, to, to picture this. Here's this, this young bride, which is the church, standing for her accuser, being accused of immorality, And deep in her heart, she knows she's guilty. Because we know that, that, that adultery is not the action; it's the, it's the thought itself. She's not loved the Lord, her God with all her heart, with all her mind, with all her strength. She, there, there, there's immorality there. She's been accused of of, of impurity, of immorality, of adultery. And and, and she knows the penalty of this. If it's it's right, if it's true, she's going to be put to death. She is going to be stoned to death. And then the father Brings out the blood stain. There, there in the blood. There's her righteousness. It's there in the blood. There's the proof of her righteousness. He shows the blood to the accuser. And she is justified. The elders of the city look at her and says, just righteous. Now, she can never be divorced. Now, she can never be thrown out of the house. She can never be separated. And her husband is going to provide for her all the days of his life. See, this this passage of Deuteronomy, it's not about some, some virgin in Israel. This is about the church. This is about us. This is about us. God looks at us and he said, you must be pure. You must be righteous. Not sort of righteous, not kind of righteous. You must be perfectly righteous. And if you think you're going to stand there in your own righteousness, then you're standing there before a blank, bloodless cloth. And you're found guilty. And you will be stoned to death for all eternity. But the joy is knowing That's the blood of Christ there's our righteousness in his life blood in the life he lived that was righteous and perfect and holy that was filled for us and it is the father who keeps us pure it's the father who does the work the father who keeps us by his grace and we cling to him he holds us close as we, we read in, in in Psalms 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, you must keep me close to you. You must keep me with you. It's so easy to read over a passage like this in Deuteronomy 12, or It's 22 and read this and, and, and just and, and and get lost in in, in the culture and, and not see what what this is teaching not about about marriage then but about the the true picture of marriage and our hope that's found in christ that our righteousness our hope our our, our justification is found in the blood and only in the blood Now, and as we go through the rest of this, I, I hope you get excited about it because this, this is a beautiful part of Deuteronomy. You know, it's easy to take all this and and, and, somebody, and just kind of throw it all out and say, well, it's about the culture of that time and the picture and not see what this teaches about who God is and what adultery is and our hope that's found in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I am... Lord, none of us, none of us will stand before you in our own righteousness. I love the the story of Zechariah chapter 3 where Joshua the high priest is standing there and the accuser is there. And Joshua is absolutely silent because every accusation of the accuser is right. There's nothing he can say. Lord, there is no justification for us outside of you. And you, our God and Father, you are the one who protects. You're the one who provides the proof. Just as you did in Zechariah. When you turned to the accuser and said, is this not the one I plucked from the fire? Lord, not only that you said oh, and now now you can never be divorced. All the days of the husband's life he will provide for his bride, for the church. What a promise and a hope for all eternity. Lord I pray God that we as we, as we just consider the, the the beauty of this passage. May we see you in all your glory and worship you in Christ's precious name. Amen. let we all stand as Tony comes and leads us.